Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 29 of Forged in Ohio. My name is Jake Mern, the host of the podcast. Last week's show was pretty unique as I was joined by a striker in slap fighting for the first time. Hopefully, you all enjoyed that episode, but this week, we are back to mixed martial arts, and I couldn't be looking forward to today's episode more, as I have a very special fighter joining me today. I'd say he's the first local MMA fighter that I was aware of, and he has a pretty incredible story as well. He continues to push himself, compete against strong opposition, and do it for a good cause. Also, it's important to note that he recently became the first ever Anthony Pettis Fighting Championship Lightweight World Champion. I'm excited to talk to him about that and a whole lot more. Without further ado, let's bring him in. Let's bring in Josh Rockin' Roller. Thanks for coming on the show, Josh, and welcome to Forge in Ohio. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, I appreciate you joining me, and congratulations on that big win at APFC4. I want to start with that big win on April 23rd over Johnny Hooper. Before we get to the fight itself and the title, I want to ask about how the fight came about. What was your reaction when you got the call to fight not only for APFC, but for the first lightweight title in the promotion's short history? Well, first and foremost, thank you. But when they contacted me, to be honest, I just looked at it as another fight. They were trying to put a whole bunch of hype behind it being the first title, which I completely understand for their promotion. But for me, I mean, I don't really look at things like that. Um, and when they were interviewing me, I, I slipped up and kind of <laughs> kind of said that. I had to cover my tracks real quick because I understand why they're doing it. But again, for me, it was just another fight to get a belt. I mean, that was really cool. They were kind of trying to talk like, you know, Johnny was, you know, like my toughest fight to date, which I did not agree with at all. Um, I just, I saw the opponent. I thought he was tough. I liked his record. I didn't think he was going to be a walk in the park or I wouldn't have took the fight. So I definitely thought he was tough, but I just knew he wouldn't, he wasn't able to beat me. Like he just wasn't better than me in any position. Mm -hmm. I was too dynamic for him, but regardless, you know, props to him for taking the fight. It was cool. It's cool to go down in history, but again, um, I kind of look at belts like trophies until they're like the actual real deal, like a UFC or a PFL belt, something like that. That's interesting that you say it's just another fight because being in the main event of the APFC card and fighting a 7-1 and opponent with a 100% finish rate for the pro title, what were your nerves like heading into that fight or was it just same as usual going in there and fighting in MMA? Well, it was same as usual. So what's been going on the past few years is... I have been the B-side, meaning they're like using me in a way to kind of hook their guy up. So like I'll use Johnny for an example. He was their fighter of the year. So they were looking at me like, you know, Johnny's going to be able to handle this guy. You know, APFC is going to look even better because he was our fighter of the year. He's got a great resume. Um, maybe he'll end up getting a shot at Contender Series, get some sort of bigger offer which would then do the promotion well too. So my fight before that, again, I'm on, I'm on the B side. I'm fighting UFC vet comma worthy in his hometown fight before that UFC vet Jordan Griffin in his hometown fight before that Dennis Bazooka and uh, pretty close to his hometown, his hometown crowd. So I didn't really have nerves. I'm, I'm kind of used to that. And uh, 
it was just kind of business as usual. Do you thrive in that B-side role where you have that kind of underdog mentality going in there, knowing that people might not be there to watch you per se, but you're still there, you're still giving it all, you're all in, in fighting those guys? Yeah, I think I do. So I, I typically, like even when I wrestled growing up, I always, you know, rise to the skill level of my opponent. So, you know, I'd always want to fight or wrestle people that were so-called better than me. I feel like I might fight down to an opponent as well. So I'm always trying to, to fight up. But really, like, this one was a little different because typically when I go into someone's hometown, you know, everyone's booing and then, you know, kind of like really helps get me in like more of a uh, an aggressive zone. This one was different because even though I was, you know, the B side and everyone was cheering for him, um, I came out to a a song called I Speak Jesus by Charity Gale and people were actually cheering for me. So it was really, it was a, it was a different feeling and it was a good feeling to hear people like really express, maybe it wasn't their love for me, you know, and I'm okay with that. You know, as long as it was for Jesus, man, they were, they were, uh, you know, kind of hooting and hollering for me, which was really, really cool. So you mentioned fighting in your opponent's hometowns and how that kind of changes your mental state going into a fight do you almost thrive in that state as well, fighting in your opponent's hometowns? Yeah, I mean, there's pros and cons. I mean, I think that's a pro. I really, really like that. But a huge con is you're fighting in their hometown. So with that being said, like when I fought Dennis Bazooka, I mean, I'm really, really critical on myself when I compete. And honestly, I couldn't give him a round. They gave him the decision win for the Ring of Combat title. And even his cornerman like so he had matt sarah aljamine sterling and al quinte and al looks over at me and like gives me a look like i don't know what happened and then his you know manager who manages mcgregor comes in and he's talking to me telling me i won the fight and i'm like oh thanks man i appreciate it but like you can go ahead and leave now you know like that's not going to do anything for me so there's pros and cons so like when you do fight in someone's hometown even with the comma fight like yeah it could have went either way you know obviously being in his hometown there's no way i'm winning that so you know you have to finish the fight. Uh, if you leave it in the judge's hands, you know it's probably not going to go your way, even if you quote-unquote dominate the fight, which I feel like I really did in New Jersey. So that's at least four straight fights for you that you've fought in your opponent's hometown. Do you even remember the last time you fought close to Akron, close to home here in Ohio? Yeah, actually, because um, the fight before that, I fought another contender series guy in his hometown. But then it was January 11, 2020, I fought John DeJesus and uh, had a really good first round, felt like I was kind of picking him apart. He uh, <laughs> he played a good mind game. He gave my corner the finger, and I kind of like looked away, and he hit me with a Superman punch and kind of stunned me. And then after that, I just kind of kept, you know, I was fighting with emotion, which obviously is a no-no. But that was down in uh, like Millersburg, Amish country. So that was the closest I fought to home back in 2020. And you mentioned how important it is when you're fighting in your opponent's hometown to finish the fight inside the distance. That's exactly what you did for APFC 4. That fight did not last long as you won via submission at 4 minutes and 36 seconds of the first round against Hopper. Did you foresee an early finish going into that fight? You know, I, I saw that was a possibility. I don't, I don't, I try not to look at it like that. I, uh, I knew I was going to go in there and I was 
honestly, what I wanted to do was I felt like I was going to start picking him apart. And, you know, since I don't really cut weight, I think he was under uh, underestimating my power and my age. You know, I think he was underestimating my wrestling since he, you know, recently wrestled in college. Um, and, you know, mine was, you know, I got my scholarship back in 2006 and I left in 2007. So, you know, I, I feel like he was really underestimating that. So I thought I was going to go out there. I was going to pick him apart a little bit and then force him to shoot. Um, but I went out there and almost got into like a uh, shot for shot type thing. Then I started getting on my movement, started feeling a lot better, you know, striking with him. And then things just kind of came natural. And I knew it was funny because I pulled guard and swept him at one point and then he got back up to his feet. And once I had him on the ground, I was like, man, you know, this guy, he was a blue belt, but I could just feel like he didn't have anything that was going to be able to stop me. So then we got into a little bit of a um, striking battle back and forth a little bit. And then I got him up against a cage and I saw his breathing like he was pretty tired. And I saw going into the fight that he had that same thing in previous fights. And, you know, not to sound arrogant or anything, but I, I know, you know, I'm I'm like the last guy you want to be tired against in a 15-minute fight. So I saw him physically kind of breaking. Then when I got him up against the cage, I hit him with a couple knees on both sides to his face. And uh, I felt him physically break. So when I had him on the ground... It was pretty easy to to get the back to set the boots in, and then I heard my corner say, I think it was like a minute twenty or a minute twenty six, something like that. And so I knew I had plenty of time, so I didn't want to rush it. I got under the chin one point in time, but I didn't feel like it was a good lock, so I started tapping away, hitting away on him, chipping him a little bit, and then he opened up and gave it to me. So how much of a confidence boost is it in the fight when you get that realization that? You're just better than this guy almost in every way, but, you know, he's kind of getting tired there. Is your confidence just through the roof that you're going to be able to win this fight one way or the other? Yeah, um, I think a really big thing, I take it from wrestling, you could be wrestling or fighting a guy that's better than you, but if you mentally break him, you know, that fight's yours, or that wrestling match is yours. So seeing him break, you know, that was just reassurance. Again, like I said, I knew he didn't really have anything. It, I mean, it's a fight. Anything can happen in a fight, you know, you can be, you can beat him 99 out of 100 times, but that one time, you know, all it takes is one punch, one second left, anything like that. So I'm always aware of that. But uh, yeah, when I, when I saw him break, I just, I knew he wasn't going to get out of the round. But then I also thought, you know what, even by chance, if he does, man, I can, I can really drag this into the deeper waters and, and really make him try to find a way out. Yeah, and you finished it with your fourth rear naked choke submission win in your pro career. Is that the sharpest tool in your toolbox in terms of submissions and jiu-jitsu? Because you've gotten so many of them so far in your pro wins. No, to be honest, it's not. I have a lot of tools in my jiu-jitsu bag that I've yet to be able to showcase in the octagon. I mean, I showed a little bit of it against Dennis Bazooka in New Jersey, just my control, my pressure, but I really like... So I'll pass his guard. I'll get into, even if he holds my leg, so I'll either stand like half guard or move to side control. When I do, I sit on their head. When I sit on their head, I got a Kimura lock, and I could either finish a Kimura, I could go to a shoulder lock, I can go to an arm bar, or I can go to what's called a Barata Plata. That's like my my bread and butter. That's what I'm really good at. I typically, you know, jiu-jitsu tend to get that quite often. It's just... 
for some reason, you know, I haven't really been able to showcase my jiu-jitsu in uh, a fight. Yeah, well, I'm definitely looking forward to future fights and hopefully being able to see that those other tools in your toolbox of jiu-jitsu really come into play. With this fight in particular, I know a pro title has alluded to you prior to the win at APFC 4. How did it feel to break through and win that first pro title in your MMA career? I mean, it, it was cool. Um, like, it's obviously winning is always a good feeling. You know, losing is not a good feeling. So as long as I get the W, I'm, I'm okay with that. But being, you know, growing up, being a huge WWF fan, like I've always wanted a belt. And when I got screwed out of the belt in New Jersey, you know, I was I was bummed. Like the kid side of me was bummed because, you know, I was like I wanted to be stone cold, you know. So getting this belt, you know, it did mean a lot. Just, you know, like a childhood dream to fulfill that. But at the same time, you know, it's going to just sit on a shelf or in a case. It's a little too heavy to treat, treat it how stone cold would and just like throw it up and whip it around, you know. But it was funny because after my fight, the plan was I wanted to get two Zevia waters. And when I got the belt, I wanted to bring them in the cage and crack them open and start drinking them like Stone Cold would have beer. It. But they don't let you to bring anything um, unopened, so I snuck in an empty can of Zevia anyway. So were you able to do it? Well, I had I had it, and I pretended like I was chugging it, you know, but I didn't have the two cans, and that's what I really wanted to do. <laughs> I wanted to, like you know, really pretend I was, I was stone cold up there. Would you say that that was the greatest moment or victory of your career so far? Um, no, to be honest, the greatest moment of my career was I had a friend that I met through a woman at church. He had spina bifida and he was from another state and his family pretty much gave up on him and he didn't really have any friends and I'd go and visit him. And I was supposed to fight up at uh, Nautica, the pavilion up in the flats. And my opponent missed weight by eight and a half pounds. So I didn't end up fighting. So I got him a ticket. I got him a ride up there. He was sitting front row. And since, I mean, he was a huge pro wrestling fan. And since I wasn't fighting, I was in the back and I started talking to them. And I'm like, hey, is there any way? Because they wanted to get me up into the cage and start talking. So I was like, man, is there any way that, like, I can set something up, like, so long story short is I talked him into letting me um, – after I was talking, I wasn't going to let go of the mic. So they brought security in, and uh, we talked a little bit, and I was like, I'm not getting out of the cage you know, until you guys find me an opponent. Security guard comes in, says some stuff, and then I extend my hand to shake his hand like, oh, it's all good. And then I stone cold stunned him <laughs> <laughs> and then jumped up on the cage. So I did that because he was a huge wrestling fan. And like he was in the paper the next day talking about it was like the greatest night of his life. And he passed not too long after that. So to really be able to like give him something to um, experience joy was truly awesome. I mean, without this sport in my career, I would have never been able to do it. So for me, that is by far the top of the top. Wow, I'm sorry to hear about his passing, but what an incredible moment that sounds like. And were you able to see his instant reaction sitting front row based on that Stone Cold stunner and everything that went down in the <laughs> yeah. moment? Oh, yeah, yeah. He lit up because, unfortunately, he was confined to a, a wheelchair. And uh, he lit up. His hands were up in the air. He was screaming. It was awesome. Because when I jumped on the cage, I was trying to, like, jump right where he was, but I jumped a little, little bit off. So I wasn't like perfectly in line with him, 
but I ended up seeing him, so it, it worked out. I mean, his reaction, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I don't get nervous, but I was pretty nervous. Like, dude, I'm about to get up there and make a fool out of myself, you know, <laughs> but I was like, it's all good, man, as long as it's for Zach, you know, as long as I can, you know, do something to improve the quality or just bring some joy to someone's life, man, it was for sure worth it. Yeah, absolutely, man. That is that is an incredible story and for sure definitely one of the, the best moments of your career, like you said. You have so much support locally in the state of Ohio, and I saw a ton of support on social media after the win. Fighting in Indiana and then seeing all the support from home, what did that mean to you? Oh, it's the world. It really is because, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy, you know, I got, a, I got a small friend circle. I got a lot of acquaintances, but to feel love and and support you know it, it's big now i also know that you know not all of it is is genuine some of i mean most of it is but i also know that like when you're at a high you get people you know coming out of out of the woodworks but when you're at a low you're kind of by yourself so i mean I, i'm a realist when it comes to that but it is really cool the the fight being on ufc fight pass was awesome because you know i had friends throughout the entire country that have never been able to see me fight that were able to watch me fight and um and just the way you know i'm not trying to be braggadocious or anything but like the way i carried myself spoke volumes to certain individuals in relation to like me being a light you know like jesus and and portraying you know the good guy not you know what a typical mma guy is like was there a certain message or person that reached out that stuck out to you among the rest yeah, actually, there was a there was a girl who worked for the promotion. She must have been battling something, and she said that because I talked to her quite quite a bit through messages and stuff. And actually, my my old man who came out to corner me, he had a an actual conversation with her face to face about some of this. But uh, she was going through some stuff, and when my song came on, it just it hit her. It hit her really hard, um, in a good way, and uh, you know helped kind of get her out of a hole that she was in and then um the co-main event me and him prayed before the before we went out and fought and she was thanking me and saying that just like with us praying that jesus was looking out for him because his ride to the airport or something like that the next day fell through and it was you know i don't believe in coincidences and it was just so happened that her husband had just gotten home and was able to take him to the airport so like things worked out perfect and obviously I had no plan in it, you know, it's all God's plan. So, but yeah, I mean, her, her reaching out and then, um, sharing, you know, like the song again and saying like, Oh, my favorite fighter came out of this. He has no idea how much it meant to me. You know, I was, that was really big for me because again, I don't, I'm not doing this so you can remember Josh Roller. I'm doing this so that I can try to bring light to Jesus. You know, I want people to look at me and not remember my name, but look at me and see Christ in me. So if they can remember Christ, I'm doing my job. So fighters are stereotypically, you know, supposed to be strong and tough and everything like that. But for you, when you hear those stories from fans like that, is it hard for you to not get emotional when you hear things like that? Oh, yeah, because it's it's stuff out of my element. It's stuff out of my control. It's, you know, the mighty right hand of God. So, like, you know, when I hear stuff like that, it's it's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. So like it brings some personal satisfaction, obviously, but you know, it just makes me realize like, it's not about just winning. It's just a sport. 
You know, it's about how you carry yourself and the things you do when people, when you don't think someone's watching. So, you know, the impact that you have on people, even, you know, even when I lost to Kama, I had some people come up to me after the fight, you know, because I was, I was in my head. I was upset, of course. But I had some people come up to me after the fight and just talk to me about, you know, my message and how I carry myself, like how it really like affected them. And again, that's, it's not me, but like having people see Christ through me means to me that I'm doing something right, you know, and I'm doing something right, not in the world's eyes, but in my creator's eyes. Yeah. And you're not in this game for reasons that most other fighters are in this game. And I think it's really commendable why you're doing what you're doing. Once again, we're talking to Josh Rock and Roller with us on Forge in Ohio. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit more and talk to you about your career and involvement in MMA. You've been fighting for over nine years. I believe you've been in so many gyms and I've influenced so many lives. Clearly, how important has giving back been to you so far in your career? Oh, it's huge. It's like with anything, you know, you take so much from a sport and so much knowledge from from anything in any aspect that you look at. It's selfish not to give back. And at the same time, like if you look at the quote unquote world I'm in with the MMA world, it's a lot of times it's pretty dark. You know, you go to a local MMA show and I'm not hating on people that drink and this, that, the other. But, you know, there are a lot of people that are battling their demons and coming out for a good time. And, you know be in that light. And that's my whole thing is Jesus talks about a light being on a lampstand. You don't put it under your bed. You know, you don't cover up the light. So me trying to be that light in that dark place. And, you know, if I can affect one person or if I can, you know, at least preach the gospel to one person and they don't have to accept it right then and there, but they hear it, you know, that's just me planting the seed. Jesus does all the watering, man. Yeah, like you said, it's like you're the light and the darkness that can be the MMA scene at times. How hard is it to stay on that path and not be consumed by all the negativity and darkness that is in the fight game? I I used to wrestle with it. I did. I thought it was, it was tough, but I've really, really grown in my spiritual life, and I don't I don't find it hard at all anymore because I know what I need to do. I'm right with my creator. I'm not going to sell my soul and become someone that I'm not for money, for fame, for anything. You know, like I said, I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be known. It ain't about me. People can take this as they will, but I'm not the type of guy to be like, oh, come on, you know, we'll sign you to the UFC and give you this huge payday. All you got to do is talk crap. That's not me, man. So I wouldn't sell my soul to become someone that I'm not because if as soon as I start to slip into that, I become the old me. And I didn't like the old me. Jesus didn't like the old me. He found me. He made me new. And, you know, this is who I was meant to be by his creation. I wasn't meant to be who I was. That's why, you know, the changes happened. And, and again, I wouldn't want to slip back into that at all because, you know, I, I, I didn't approve in any faction the type of person I used to be. Was it that faith that kind of took you from being that old person that acted those ways and fell to the darkness sometimes and to now talking to you now, I mean, clearly a different person from way back then. Is it the faith that kind of got you from where you were to where you are now? Absolutely. I mean, I say it over and over as cliche as it is. And the people that really know me know my dark past. I should be dead or I should be in prison. But by the grace and mercy of God, Jesus's blood, I am 
changed. I'm born again. I'm different, you know. I and I I, I remember like feeling that conviction of the Holy Spirit in me, like knowing like what I'm doing is wrong. Like, what am I doing? You know, I have to change. And then Jesus kept working in me and every day he still works in me. I mean, I'm still growing, you know, you can't grow enough. We can never be perfect. He was the only thing that was perfect. And we're always going to fall back and we're always going to sin, but we can't stay there. You know, we have to just keep moving forward. The problem is, is if we sin and we don't have that affliction that we know what we did was wrong. That's the thing about, you know, being a true follower of Christ is you're never going to be perfect. You're going to sin. But having the conviction of that sin and not wanting to do it again, that's how we grow. Yeah, and I mentioned how your story is an incredible one and talking about how that faith really transformed you in life. And, and we're talking about how, you know, you've given back so far in your career and both through your faith and some other ways as well. But I also believe you have some experience with coaching and mentoring in mixed martial arts. Is that is that right? Do you have that coaching and, and mentoring role in MMA? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm quote unquote the old guy now. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, Chris Kreeble, I want to bring him into the conversation as well. He was actually one of my science teachers back in high school, believe it or not. He's at TKO Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Did you work with him still at TKO BJJ in, in a coaching role of some capacity? Yeah, actually, when he was in high school, he went to Hoban for two years, and we met, and I got him to come to St. V, and we became trail partners. So we have been training together for right around 20 years I actually, I teach jujitsu. I teach the kids there. I help them out with the adult classes as well. I got an issue right now. I got to, I got to deal with, so I'm not going to go up and spar, but, uh, I am going to go try to choke out my buddy Kreeble. <laughs> but yeah, he's, I mean, he's been a major, major influence. You know, he got me into jujitsu and when I first started, he got me to go to one of the classes and put a gi on and I'm like, man, this is dumb. I'm like, I'm not doing this. This is so dumb. And then years later, he kept hounding me when I was you know, on that wrong road, he kept hounding me and uh, him and God rest his soul, a good friend of mine, John Cook, who just passed away. They are huge, huge reasons on why I'm fighting. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have fought. Um, I remember having a conversation with Kreeble, um, and then, I don't know, a couple weeks later, I had my first scheduled fight. I went out to Colorado because he was living out there. I trained with Elevation Fight Team at Muscle Farm and uh, Mall Easton's Jiu-Jitsu Gym. Got beat up out there, came back, made my MMA debut, and was like, man, let's get on a roll. Let's keep doing this. So, I mean, he's a huge, huge part, not just in my MMA career, but he is my main training partner when it comes to Jiu-Jitsu as well. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Now you're giving it back too at TKO BJJ, obviously coaching and, and mentoring the next generation of people that are trying to become, you know, jiu-jitsu practitioners themselves. What is that like and how much pride do you take in that coaching role? I don't like the word pride, but I get what you're saying. Like I and, and I will say, like, I do take pride. But for me, it's I have to I have to be a good example. You know, I have to be a good example, not just to the adults, but to the kids, you know, teaching these kids like, you know, maybe some of them don't have father figures or maybe they come from broken families. You know, you have to be multifaceted. You know, you have to, you know, fill quite a few shoes and make sure that you're setting a good example on a good day, on a bad day. Don't matter what kind of day you're having, man, you got to set a good example for them 
and for this, some of these young adults, you know, we got a bunch of younger guys in their twenties, you know, younger twenties and, uh, not again, not sounding arrogant or anything, but you know, they look up to me, they look up to Creeble. So like, we really have to set the standard on the work ethic on how to be a martial artist, how to live life, how to treat other people. So, um, I mean, it's a heavy load, but man, do I love carrying it. Yeah, is it hard carrying that heavy responsibility on your shoulders, or do you not really look at it that way, and it's more so an easy thing for you to do at the gym? I mean, it's a heavy load, but I don't, you know, I don't look at it like it's hard to carry. You know, obviously, it does get a little bit harder if, uh, you know, you got personal stuff going on. Like, if I got a fight coming up, and, you know, I'm feeling some type of way, stuff isn't going right none of that matters when you get in there because you know it's not about me you know so you got to make sure that you can separate the two but yeah i wouldn't say it's it's hard to carry i actually feel privileged to be able to carry that load once again this is josh rock and roller with us on forged in ohio now with the apfc lightweight championship what would be next for you would you defend that belt or go take a different fight uh, out there for a different promotion that's kind of up in the air right now. I'm in the process of trying to – I took a civil service test for Akron, so I'm in the process of trying to uh, get into the fire school with them. I should know within the next couple weeks or month or so. So I don't really want to take a fight ASAP only because I don't exactly know the dates of – you know, if I do get the call for training and the background check, lie detector test, drug test, and all that. And I, I was I was tired of, you know, fighting, ruling the roost. And it's funny when I had that mind change, that mindset change, because I've turned down a lot of careers for fighting and just been working a job. And when I had that mindset change, my life got better. I had more joy in my life and I got better in MMA. In the martial arts aspects, I was actually getting better. So trying to figure that out right now, I did get offered July 16th to defend my title, August 12th to defend my title. The July one is in Virginia. The August one is in Milwaukee. And then yesterday I just got hit up to uh, fight for LFA. And if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like one of Muhammad Ali's grandsons or something, which I would I would love to. But again, I just I don't want to commit to that right now if I'm going to hear something back because that's in like a month. That's June. And I'm just not sure with the whole fire department thing. Like, I don't want to sign up for – sign a contract for a fight and then hear back from the fire department like, oh, hey, you got two weeks. And on the same day as a fight, you know, I'm supposed to be training. I don't want to let a promotion down because obviously a career means quite a bit. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It sounds like the MMA fights for now at least are on hold until you hear back. But is the career goal to become a firefighter? You know, it never was. I've always wanted to work with kids. But, you know, for the longest, I put all my eggs into the fighting basket. And after that mindset change, like, again, I, it's just fighting. I'm, I'm making crap money to fight UFC vets. And even at that, you know, you look at someone like Bryce Mitchell, who's top 10 in the world, featherweight in the UFC, and the dude had $2,500 to his name. You know, like, I know it's not about money, but, you know, I want to be able to not struggle <laughs> to pay bills. But I also looked at it, like I said, I never thought about becoming a fireman. Someone sent the civil service test to me, 
And I was like, man, might as well try it. That'd be a fun job. The schedule's great. The benefits are amazing. So for me, like, you know, benefits, if I ever have a family, that's something that's really, really big having, you know, the medical and stuff like to be able to take care of them. Well, I wish you the best in that aspect. Hopefully everything goes well with the testing and everything that goes into becoming a firefighter. That'd be incredible to see you do that. At 35 years old right now in your MMA career, do you think you're in the prime of your career right now? Yeah, it's funny. People keep, uh, I mean, I joke about it all the time saying I'm old, but age really is just a number. And um, me and Stipe are the, the old dogs at Strong Style. But to be perfectly honest, man, I just feel like I just keep getting better. You know, obviously, if there was any kind of like mental, you know, something going on with my head or my brain, you know, it don't matter how good I'm getting, I'm done. I'm not taking that chance. Like, I've accumulated a lot of knowledge in life that I don't want to lose. You know, I don't want to become, I, I want, I want my sponge to still be able to absorb. So I don't want to um, ever take that kind of chance. You know, even if I had a multi-million dollar contract, to whatever, like I, if I, if I had any sort of cognitive dysfunction going on, I would make sure, you know what, I'm done. It's, it's not worth it to me, but I do, I feel like I'm getting better and better. Now, you know what, that could change tomorrow. That could change in a year. That could change in two years. But while I have the gifts that I've been gifted by God, I'm going to try to use them. You know, I'm going to try to use each platform, each ministry field that I'm granted in life to my fullest potential until that ministry field is done and I change another ministry field. So where do you think you go from here in terms of career trajectory? What's the apex of your career look like at 35 years old? It's not every day that you see somebody age 35 get signed to a major promotion, but maybe for you in your unique case, you could. What does that look like for you? I mean, to be honest, I used to care. I don't really care anymore. I just want to I want to fight the best of the best for a I want to be able to, to spread the gospel you know, everywhere I go, like I said, use this ministry field to my fullest potential, but be on a selfish note. I don't need the money and the fame. I just want to know where I stand, you know? So being able to beat UFC guys, like that's cool. Like I just want to know where I stand. So if you're really good or you've had a, you know, you made it to the UFC or whatever, or you're an up and comer and you're undefeated or you got a great record and you beat some really good guys. I'm all about pushing myself. I Every day I love to push myself mentally, physically, and spiritually. So as long as I'm able to do that and, um, you know, win or lose, obviously, like I said earlier, I don't like to lose. Losing is not fun. But win or lose, man, it lets you know where you're at. You know, and I just – I never wanted to be a coulda, woulda, shoulda. And to me, coulda, woulda, shoulda doesn't mean you have to make it and make all this money and this, that, the other. No, I just – I don't want to be a coulda, woulda, shoulda. I want to try it. I want to do as best as I possibly can, fight the best that I possibly can. And again, win or lose, man, it lets me know where I'm at, and I'd be happy with that. I know you said the pro title that you won at APFC kind of just sits there on the shelf in a way. But does that title kind of eliminate that woulda, coulda, shoulda mindset? I know you don't want to become that, but now is that just like in the past, now that you've kind of won that pro title, is that not even a thought anymore? Well, to be honest, and again, I'm not I'm not trying to disrespect my opponent at all, you know, at all. It's cool to have. It is. It's cool to have. But, you know, I can name quite a few guys that were better than him that I fought. And so I just I'm looking for that challenge. If a belt comes along with it, 
man, that's cool. If it doesn't, man, that's cool too. Being able to share the cage with Kama, being able to share the cage with Jordan Griffin, like that was awesome. That was really fun. You know, a young kid like Dennis Bazooka, being able to beat him up and throw him around the mat, you know, that was cool. You know, this he's, I think, 26 or something. He's got a heck of a career ahead of him. I made my amateur debut at 26. You know, he's got like 10 pro fights at 26, fighting in Abu Dhabi right now, you know, making good money. So, like, man, that's cool. I just, like, again, I just, I want to, you know, I want to fight the best, win or lose, just challenge myself. And uh, if titles or belts come along with it, cool. If money comes along with it, that's cool, too. But again, that's not the reason that I'm in in this sport. Yeah, and again, you're not in this game for the same reasons as most fighters are in this game for. One more for you. I know you're humble, and that's very apparent throughout this podcast, but I wanted to bring the term local legend into play here with you. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Norm Carrero, but he was a guest of mine on Fortune Ohio when we discussed if he could be considered a local legend. With all that you have accomplished, set out to do, and given back in the MMA space, would you consider yourself a local legend? Um, well, first off, I, I know Norm. I like Norm. Norm's a real good dude. I typically see him on Sundays. I go to uh, Apex Fighting Systems, which is like two miles from my house, and I call it like active recovery. I do some light sparring with the guys there. My buddy J. Moore, he's there. But yeah, I, I end up, I go up there and see them. But like, as far as a local legend, man, that's not up to me. That's up to other people. If people want to consider me that, I mean, that's cool. If not, man, again, I, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. Like, I just want to make a positive impact. So if that term comes along with it, that's cool. But if you really want to talk about a local MMA legend, man, John Cook was a local MMA legend. He actually fought in the cage. He opened one of the most successful gyms in the area. He had, I mean, Jeff Hughes, who was in the UFC, Devontae Smith, who was in the LC, UFC, Jarrell, he's a four-fight contract in Bellator, me, Jamar. I mean, he's had so many guys up there. Cody Garbrandt was up there for a little, not like for the team, but like people that have gone through the doors and trained. Chris Lozano uh, fought for him. Um, you know, Cody would come up, he trained. You had Joey Davis, who's in Bellator. There's been so many people to go through that door and, and, and Brandon Poindexter, like all these guys. And John Cook had such Christian Porter, you know, he's, he's a pro. He's going to be doing big things by the way. But, uh, he has touched so many guys. He has impacted their lives so much. Like John Cook, I would consider not just a local legend. Like he is an MMA Ohio legend. Like he did a lot of great things for this sport, changed a lot of people's lives he was the type of guy where you either loved him or hated him, but you only hated him because you didn't really know him. If you really got to know him, you'd love him. Like he was, he was a great guy. He was actually a world silver medalist in as a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He was an awesome guy. Obviously married to uh, Tracy McCool, Fox 8 Newswoman. I mean, he just he's affected so many people. I think he has the status for legend. Yeah, of course. And I was saddened to hear of his passing. And of course, people that were close to him, I wish everybody the best in in relation to that. And another humble answer out of you, if you're a local legend or not. 
Uh, before we wrap up, Josh, anything you want to shout out or plug here on the podcast? Any last thoughts or final words that you want listeners man, to hear? Man, I just I appreciate the time. I really do. Um, anytime I get a platform, you know, to just chat is awesome. So of course, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna end what I gotta say with if there's anybody out there who's lost, there's anybody out there who wants to learn more about Jesus, the Bible, about how to be saved, about how to spend eternity with him, not away from him, man, feel free, hit me up. Uh rock and roller on Instagram. I don't do the Facebook thing. I don't do the tweeter thing either. <laughs> um I'm not gonna give my number out, but if you hit me up on Instagram, man, I I'd be happy to give you my number. We could get together. We could talk. You know, just want to let people know I'm here for you. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in Romans, it talks about the wages of sin is is death. But our God gave us a free gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus. I hope that hits some people that are listening to this. And again, feel free, man. Feel free to give me give me a call or get a hold of me, and I'd love to talk to you. Well, there you have it. Don't be afraid to contact Josh Roller on Instagram as well there. Thanks again, Josh, for joining me on the show. I truly believe that you're approaching that local legend status, and I'm thankful that you took some time out of your day to join me on the show. Of course, the show is called Forged in Ohio, and I always ask my guests to finish the OHIO chant with me before signing off. So, OH... I-O. Thanks, Josh. Thanks again for the time. Congrats on that win on April 23rd. And I think it speaks for a lot of people when I say that I can't wait to see what that title does to your career and where you go from here, man. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate it. God bless. That was Josh Rock and Roller, the 8-6 and six mixed martial artist. I'm proud to have a guy like Josh represent my hometown. And again, he's not your usual MMA fighter. He's not in this game for the same reasons as other fighters. And I think he's really, truly commendable for that. I couldn't think of a better guy to have won the APFC lightweight world championship that's going to do it for episode 29 of the show i can't believe we'll be at episode 30 already next week you're not gonna want to miss that one and until then don't forget to support the podcast in all ways possible that includes following at forge in ohio on instagram downloading episodes wherever you listen to them and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on the podcast as well Thank you all for tuning in. I've been your host, Jake Marin, and this was Forged in Ohio.